0: morning church I got to ask you a question this morning how do you know when it's time to clean your house Some of you might be good at this. Maybe you have a day every week where you clean your house on that day. Maybe you clean your house every day, I don't know. Maybe you're one of those miracle workers who claims to have a house that never needs cleaned. I don't know. Uh, Maybe some of you, though, are parents in the room and you've never actually heard the words clean and house together in the same sentence before. (laughs) That's an oxymoron. My mom used to say that uh, uh, cleaning the house with kids around is like shoveling in a snowstorm. It just keeps coming. Uh, maybe some of you, though, are like me, and you know it's time to clean the house when company comes over. And so you scramble around in a hurry real quick, you throw all the dirty dishes in the dishwasher, you shut all the doors to the bedrooms, you get all the other miscellaneous crud that's all over the floor, shove it in a closet, just in time to open the door and say, welcome to my nice, clean, tidy house. <laughs> How do you, you guys look like you're judging me right now, stop it. <laughs> Don't act like you haven't done this before, it's, confession is good for the soul. How do you know when it's time to clean house? Jesus shows up at the temple in Luke chapter 19, and he knows it's time to clean house. In Luke chapter 19, it's time for the Jewish holiday of Passover, which is when the Jews would celebrate when God delivered them from slavery, and they thought that the next deliverer would also come at the Passover celebration. So when Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem for Passover— The people are going wild about him because they think he's that deliverer. They think he's the Messiah, the king, who's gonna liberate them and kickstart the revolution against Rome. And they were right that he was the Messiah. He was the deliverer. But they were shocked at what he did because he comes into Jerusalem and instead of going up to the Roman fortress to pick a fight with the enemy, he goes right next door to the temple, to the heart of the Jewish religion, and he cleans house. Luke chapter 19, look at verses 45 through 48. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. So Jesus comes to the temple, and he starts cleaning house. And the question for us today is, why? I mean, this seems so uncharacteristic of Jesus. Why would he do this? Two answers, I think, this morning. And the first one is this. We must respect the holiness of God's presence. We must respect the holiness Of God's presence because we serve a holy God. It's one of God's defining characteristics. Well, what does that mean, holy? Uh, To be holy is to be set apart. It's to be different. So God is set apart. He is completely other. He is different from us. He is unique. He stands alone. When we say holy, 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 that means there is no one like him. There's no one like him in power. There's no one like him in purity. There's no one like him in strength. There's no one like him in mercy. There's no one like him in love. Holy, holy, holy. He's different. Uh, For example, let's say you had two lists to categorize everything in the universe. And on this one list, you would put all the things that have been created, Uh, So you'd put people and plants and animals and stars and water and time and physics and the universe. You'd put everything on this list. Except for one thing. And over here on this other list, the list of things that are uncreated. The things that have no beginning and no end. There would be God and nothing else. Because he's holy he, he, he's different than us. He is all powerful. He is all knowing. He is all good. He always has been and he always will be. He inhabits every square inch of the cosmos. With one flick of his finger, he could send our solar system spinning off into space. He could play kickball with our universe. His voice thunders with Niagara thunder. His eyes blaze with supernova brilliance. In Genesis chapter one, God takes a handful of words and he simply speaks 10,000 galaxies into existence. Our God is holy. He's different than we are. And he's holy because he's pure. God is perfectly pure, and we are not. (laughs) You might be familiar with the verse Romans 6, 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. And that means for sinful people like us, God's holiness is dangerous. That means that when sinful people like us come in contact with a perfectly pure, perfectly holy, perfectly just God, that our death is the natural result. And that's why God says to Moses in Exodus chapter 33, verse 20, he says, but you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And so throughout scripture, when people do approach the presence of God, they do it carefully and reverently. Because if they come in contact with a holy God and they're flippant about it, well, as sinful people, they they die. And there are multiple people in Scripture who come before God as sinful people, and they come before him irreverently, and they are struck dead. That's why if I was you, I would be careful to never flippantly say, oh, my God, again. And so over time, in order for the Jews to approach the holy presence of God reverently, they, they built a temple there in Jerusalem. And this temple was a magnificent building where the people could come and make sacrifices and to meet with God. It was supposed to be God's home on earth, the place where God's holy presence lived. And in the middle of the temple was this room called the Holy of Holies or the most holy place. And that was the room where God's presence dwelt most fully. And you weren't allowed to go in there. Only the high priest was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. And even he only did it once a year after extensive preparation because if he was flippant at all in the presence of a holy God, he would be struck dead. And there was this veil that hung in front of the Holy of Holies to keep the people out of the Holy of Holies, but most importantly, to protect the people from God's holy presence. This thick veil hung between sinful people and a perfect holy God. Because God's holiness is to be taken seriously. Which brings us back to our story today. Because when Jesus shows up at the temple, the last thing he sees is reverence. That's why we're calling this sermon today, Your God is Too Common. Because the people were not treating the holy presence of God with the reverence that he is due. It was time to clean house. So here's the situation. All these Jews are traveling from all over to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And when they get there for Passover, they have to go make a sacrifice at the temple, maybe a a pigeon or a goat or something. And so imagine some of you guys have traveled with animals before, right? If you travel with animals, let me just say, I think you are so brave. You're so brave. I think I'm brave traveling with a one-year-old, but you have a whole new level of bravery, (laughs) So imagine trekking across Israel on foot, trying to lug some stubborn goat along with you or carry a basket full of pigeons on your back. That's a hassle, right? And so eventually, the people in Jerusalem just start selling animals there. Don't worry about bringing out a sacrificial animal when you come. When you get to Jerusalem, just bring some money, buy your pre-approved sacrificial animal right here. Makes it all a lot easier. That's a nice thing to do, right? Well, eventually, these animal vendors move their booths from outside, on the streets outside the temple, and they start selling animals inside the courts of the temple. And so when Jesus gets inside the temple, instead of a reverent place of worship, there's sheep and bulls and birds all over the place with all the nice little smelly gifts that those animals leave behind wherever they go. There are people packed shoulder to shoulder in the hustle and the bustle, and the vendors are crying out, lambs for sale, lambs for sale, get your sacrificial animals here, best prices in Jerusalem, buy two pigeons, get one free. And Jesus sees this, and he decides it's time to do something about it. We call this story in our Bibles, Jesus cleansing the temple. I think cleansing is a pretty nice word for what Jesus does. And I think sometimes we have these pictures of a very nice Jesus, right? Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, blue eyes, perfectly straight white teeth, long flowing brown hair, kids on his lap. A Jesus who wants us to just be kind and do what's best for you. A Jesus who looks and acts a lot like Mr. Rogers. In fact, you can almost picture this Jesus wearing a cardigan singing, Won't You Be My Neighbor? (sighs) But the Jesus in this story is flipping tables and throwing chairs and driving out people and animals. It's chaos. The money changers are scrambling around for their coins. Livestock are running around loose. People are pushing and shoving, trying to get out out of the way. And over it all, you hear Jesus yelling, this is supposed to be a house of prayer, but you have made it a house of bargains. You see, the point of the temple was it was supposed to be a place where people could come and meet God. They could encounter the presence of the holy God. And the chaos that these Jewish leaders were letting into the temple was hindering people from that purpose. It was stopping them from meeting God. So Jesus was getting the temple back to what it was always intended to be, a place for people to meet the holy God. So what does this mean for us, right? We don't go to a temple We don't make sacrifices. You don't have to worry about our church becoming a petting zoo anytime soon. And and you're right, we we don't go to a temple anymore. Because scripture tells us that now, through Jesus, we don't have to go meet with God at a building or a box or an altar. God actually lives in us. And the Bible actually tells us that that we are the temple. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. So we, the church, are the temple. We are the people, we are the place of God's presence. And we must treat His holy presence with reverence. We must respect the holiness of the presence of God. Back in the 1990s, uh, the famous actor Paul Newman was in Kansas City filming a movie. And while he was there, there was also another woman in Kansas City at that point, and and she was going into an ice cream shop one day to get herself a cone, and while the woman was ordering her ice cream, she heard another customer come into the store behind her. She finished up her order and turned around and was shocked to see face-to-face, there's Paul Newman in town filming the movie. Well, needless to say, she was flabbergasted. Uh, She looked into those famous blue eyes, and her knees began to buckle. (laughs) He said, uh, hello. (laughs) And she was stunned. She just nodded. (laughs) And she managed to finally gain her composure a little bit and walk out of the store. And when she gets outside, it hits her to her embarrassment. She doesn't have her ice cream. Uh, So the lady turns around to walk back in the store. And who should she meet coming out of the store? But it's Paul Newman again. And Paul Newman asks her, are you looking for your ice cream? Speechless, she just nods. He says, "Uh, you put it in your purse with your change. (laughs) Now I've never really had an encounter with a famous person I don't know, maybe you have Uh, But I do know that when we're in the presence of somebody that we think is important We get a little nervous Our hearts beat a little faster Our palms begin to sweat Our tongue gets tied We might do something a little bit silly So let me ask you When you walked in here this morning, did your heart beat a little faster? Did your palms begin to sweat? Did you get a little bit nervous? Because when you came in to worship today, you did not just come into the presence of some measly little human celebrity. You came into the presence of the most important person in the universe, the high king of heaven himself. And he is worthy of our reverence. So let's talk for a minute. What what does reverence actually look like? Because I think it's easy to talk about reverence and to say, well, uh, put on your Sunday best, don't wear shorts, flip-flops, or a ball cap in the church building and no running in church. That's what my mom always said to me growing up. But I think Jesus would remind us that true reverence is an attitude of the heart. True reverence isn't found in an order of service or music style or the decorations that hang on the wall because keep in mind, the Jews had pretty clear ideas of what they thought reverence was supposed to look like externally, how, how a good Jew was supposed to act and behave in the presence of God. And Jesus didn't fit their mold. In fact, there's an older gentleman in this church, a very godly man, who's physically unable to stand during the worship service. So while we're all standing and singing, he sits and sings. And now to those around him who are standing, seeing him sit during the worship service, that might appear irreverent. That might even seem disrespectful. But if you ask him about it, he'll say, well, God knows my heart. Because true reverence has a lot more to do with what's going on in here than what's going on out here. True reverence looks a lot like whatever, you know, music style or dress code you prefer and a lot more like what's going on in your head and your heart. So, are you distracted this morning? You all are looking at me very nicely and respectfully, and I appreciate that, but some of your eyes are a little bit glazed over. I can see you. <laughs> What's on the screen of your mind right now? Is it the presence of the Almighty among us? Or is it where you're going for lunch after church or last night's game are, are, are you paying attention to the words that we're singing? Are you fully engaged? Are you listening as if the most important person in the universe were here today and talking to you? Because he is. It's God, by the way, not me. <laughs> is your heart fully engaged and reverently aware of God's holy presence among us today? Because true reverence has a lot more to do with what's going on in here than what's going on out here. And we must respect the holiness of God's presence. That's the first reason Jesus cleansed the temple, I think. And I think the second one is this. We must respect the holiness of the presence of God, but we must also remove the barriers to the presence of God. We must remove the barriers to the presence of God because Jesus does say that the temple is supposed to be a place of prayer, but he also says it's supposed to be a place for people. What did he say? He said, my house will be a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. You see, there were these people in the temple called money changers, the money changers, and the money changers were there because every Jew who came to the temple for Passover had to pay what's called a temple tax, And they had to pay the temple tax in this specific currency. Well, think about it. You got Jews coming from all over the place, and they're all bringing their own local currencies. So when they get to Jerusalem, they're going to need a place to make a money exchange so they can have the right currency to pay this tax, right? And that's why the money changers were there in the temple. That's a good thing. But the people at the temple saw an opportunity for profit, and they marked up the exchange rate way beyond what was fair. It was extortion, plain and simple. Wow, kind of crazy. It's shocking to imagine anybody could possibly exploit a religious holiday for profit, isn't it? (laughs) And Jesus sees this and it lights a fire in him because the rich were hindering the poor from worshiping. They were keeping the poor from meeting God. But it wasn't just the poor they were keeping out. It was the Gentiles too. Now, a Gentile is anybody who's not a Jew, So my guess is most of us in the room today are Gentiles. And this whole episode with the money changers and the animals has happened in what's called the court of the Gentiles in the temple. Take a look at this picture here. So this is the temple. And that outer big courtyard is called the court of the Gentiles because Gentiles, non-Jews, were not allowed to go into the inner temple. So a lot of the Gentiles who came to this court of the Gentiles, they were believers. And this is where they would come to worship, to meet with God. And others who came, well, they weren't believers. They were just curious about the faith. And so this court of the Gentiles was supposed to be a place of worship where people could meet God and encounter his holy presence. But it was also supposed to be a place of hospitality for outsiders. It was supposed to be a place of evangelism for people who were curious about the faith. But what kind of an impression do you think it gave off when people came in wondering what it meant to follow God and they encountered the ruckus of that racket not a good one the temple was supposed to be a place for people so jesus decided to clean house and as a church we want to be a place for people And we want a clean house of anything that we have or do that keeps out the curious, that keeps out the marginalized, that keeps out the outsiders and hinders them from encountering the presence of the living God here. At our vision tonight, tonight, we're gonna go uh, a lot more in-depth with our strategies for making this church a place for people. God's been leading us on this incredible journey over the last year, and we are so excited to share with you where we've been and where we're headed and where we're all gonna go together on this journey. I hope you'll join us at our vision night tonight. I can promise you this. In this church, we will never get rid of the reverence, but we will always get rid of the barriers. We will never get rid of the reverence, but we will always get rid of the barriers. Uh, There's an author named Rebecca Pippert, and she was a a campus minister back in the 1960s. So as you can imagine, being on college campuses in the 60s, she was surrounded by hippies and flower children and stuff. And she tells this one great story about a student named Bill. Bill was uh, kind of an eccentric guy, always had his head in the clouds, looked like he was pondering the esoteric, you know. His hair was always a mess. And the whole time that she knew him, Bill never wore shoes. Rain, sleet, or snow, I don't care, Bill was always barefoot. And yet, while Bill was going to college, he actually became a Christian. Meanwhile, across the street from campus was a well-dressed middle-class church that wanted to develop more of a ministry to the college students. And they didn't quite know how to do that. All they did know, though, is they just wanted to make those students feel welcome. So one day, Bill decides to go worship at this church. And Bill walks into the church building wearing his uh, T-shirt, blue jeans, of course, no shoes. You can imagine that made people pretty uncomfortable, but nobody said anything. And so Bill walks into the room to try to find a place to sit. Church was pretty full that Sunday, though. So Bill walks right down the center aisle all the way to the front, can't find a single open seat. So by the time Bill gets to the front, he just plops down on the floor there at the front of the church, crisscross applesauce, (laughs) which is Perfectly acceptable at a college event or a concert or something, but a little bit unnerving for this church congregation, as you could imagine. Just then, an elderly gentleman, well dressed, stood up and started walking down the center aisle towards Bill. Uh oh. You could cut the tension in the room with a knife. Everybody knew what was going to happen. He was going to come down here and give Bill a lecture, he was going to preach Bill a sermon on how to behave in the church building. All eyes were locked on this man. You could have heard a pin drop in this room as he walked down the aisle towards Bill. And when he got to Bill, he put his hand on Bill's shoulder and slowly, with some difficulty, lowered himself down onto the floor and sat next to Bill, just like Bill, crisscross applesauce. And he sat with Bill and they worshiped together on the floor that Sunday. And there wasn't a dry eye in the room. That was a man committed to removing barriers, committed to doing whatever it took to help anybody who walked in those doors encounter the holy presence of the living God here. We will never get rid of the reverence, but we will always get rid of the barriers because that's what Jesus did for us. He removed the ultimate barrier, the barrier of sin and death that was keeping us from God. In his death on the cross, he did away with it. And in fact, when Jesus died on the cross, that veil that hung in front of the Holy of Holies to protect the people from the presence of God, that veil was torn in half. And so now, through Jesus, we can enter the presence of God confidently. Hebrews chapter 10 says, "'Therefore, brothers and sisters, "'since we have confidence to enter the most holy place "'by the blood of Jesus,' by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. We'll never get rid of the reverence, but we'll always get rid of the barriers because that's what Jesus did for us. And if you've been trying to clean your own house on your own, if you've been trying to get your act together on your own power, you can't do it. Jesus is the only one who can clean house. He's the only one who can clean this temple up. So if you need him to bring you into the presence of God today, then come talk. We'll be up here. Let's pray. Holy God, you are great and mighty, powerful and strong and pure. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we are so unworthy, Father. We are so unworthy of entering your presence. We are sinful, puny little wretches on our own. And yet, through the blood of Jesus Christ, you've given us confidence to enter your presence. You've given us the confidence to get to call you Father. Thank you. And so, Father, we approach you today with reverence because you are holy and you're worthy of all the worship that we have to give. We offer everything we have to you, great God. We are in awe of you. And Father, we also ask confidently in the name of Jesus that if there are any barriers in our lives personally that are keeping people from seeing Jesus in us, that you'd clean house, that you'd cleanse this temple. And in this church, if there are barriers that keep people from encountering you here, then clean house, cleanse this temple. We love you so much. And we are grateful that by the blood of Jesus Christ, you have made us clean. Thank you. In his name we pray, amen.